Hello, hockey fans. Welcome to this week's edition of From the Press Box right here on the AHL Report. It is Tuesday, August 7th, and we welcome you to another edition of our podcast. I'm your host, Amy Johnson, the lead correspondent here at the AHL Report. And of course, I'm joined every week by our founder here at Rocket Sports Media and our editor-in-chief, Mr. Rick Stevens. Rick, thanks for joining me on this hot August day. Very happy to be here, and one day after the, um, well, not in Quebec, but but the civic holiday, uh, the uh, uh, summer one day off, three day weekend, Simcoe Day in in um, Ontario, and uh, some other days across Canada, but a three day weekend for Canadians. Well, can we can we join in on that down here yeah, in the yeah. states? Yeah, that'd be that'd be kind of. Nice. Um, yeah, it's 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 been warm and wet, like super hot here. Um, like I think it was over for for our Canadian listeners. I'm so sorry. I'm going to say this in Fahrenheit. Uh, it was over a hundred here yesterday, which was nuts. But Yikes. it's also been like super super rainy the last two weeks, which is unusual for this time of year. So. Yay, I don't have brown grass, but it's just been soggy and humid. What's and the left. Humidex. What's the Humidex? Uh, it was 105 yesterday. For our American listeners, that would be the heat index or the feels-like temperature. Can we all, we all live on the same continent. Can we just all... <laughs> yes, we can. Fahrenheit, if, can if you if just... You no, get with no, 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 no. <laughs> No, wait. I take it back. I'm not opening this can of worms. I take it back. I take it back. Can How the rest of the world, the world use Fahrenheit? Is it we two? do, and everyone else <laughs> <laughs> is obviously the better version. And uh-huh. just, yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Tis a wonderful day. We're happy to be back here. We've got a packed show for you today. We've got uh, the World Junior Showcase took place in Kamloops last week, and uh, it was, as as per usual, it did not disappoint with some exciting hockey, um, some extra minutes, some pretty spectacular um, scores, and some some really nice goals and things like that. So we're gonna we're gonna kind of take you through just a brief recap of how things ended up uh, after final roster cuts were made for teams USA and Canada uh, last week, as well as give you some audio clips, uh, little excerpts from, uh, we had a hand with four exclusive uh, phone interviews with players from team USA and team Canada uh, last week. And uh, so we're going to give you a glimpse of, of some of the audio from a, from a couple of those interviews uh, and then we'll direct you on where to go to to listen to the full audio from from all four of those interviews, uh, which is which is pretty exciting and pretty special to to get to hear from uh, some well known players who are who are playing uh, fighting for a spot in the World Junior Tournament. Um, we're also going to just cover some a uh, couple of notable things in AHL news. We've got uh, the the coach hiring carousel continues to happen, so we've got some updates there as well as uh, one um, AHL contract signing that is of particular, will be of particular interest for uh, many of our listeners. Um, We're also going to 
chat a bit about the Canadians. And while things are relatively quiet on the Canadians front as far as um, roster additions and and so forth and trades and and things of that nature, um, just going to chat a little bit about one or two of the roster players uh, who are, who, who will be on the ice for the Canadians this fall and, and the front office and what it is that they've done over the summer and, and their outlook coming into, into this upcoming year. Um, so we've got a, a well-rounded show this week, Rick, you know, again, as we say at the AHL report, there is no off season. We're here 52 weeks a year. And speaking of, of being well-rounded, um, uh-huh. we're both, you know, well-rounded uh, sports fans. And as yeah. we like to do, before we get into the show um, okay. on AHL Hockey News, all that, uh, we like to take a look around at a couple of stories that are happening in the news, really? um, in, in the world of sports, and, and just uh, throw our two cents and then move quickly through them and, and then get into the show. Okay. Um, and last week, this this one's kind of an update. Last week, um, in this particular segment, we talked about the debut of uh, Johnny Manziel, um, the Johnny Manziel show in Montreal, as um, he got his first CFL start um, against the Hamilton Ticats on Friday. And um, I think, if memory serves, um, the question was asked, you know, should, should Johnny start? He, he hadn't had that many reps in practice. Should he start on Friday? And I think you were on the, the start, Johnny, uh, in the start, Johnny camp. Um, I, well, I said, you know, what do you got to lose? Just, you know, what do you have to lose? Just start well, you know what? We See what he can do. <laughs> the funny thing is, we have the what answer have to, to that. What do you have to lose? We have the answer to that question. Really? And um, yes, because, um, uh, well, it, 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 you know, the start was mm, uh, his first CFL pass um, was an interception. Um, oh, well, I'm sure. You know, that's just the jitters, you know. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure that's just the jitters. So he had a bit of jitters throughout the first half, throwing four interceptions in the first half of the game. Oh, well, I'm sure you can't possibly blame him for that. I mean, well, it's Johnny Manziel. I mean, this is a, he's, he's an NFL yeah. caliber player, you, you know. Yeah, the, the Owls are terrible. The Alouettes are just a terrible team. So, no, uh, not all of it is his fault. And, and you know, um, should he have been thrown in there? Uh, anyway, he, he went on. His, his stat line is this. He was 11 for 20. Okay. Um, 100, 104 yards in the passing game and the aforementioned four interceptions as Ooh. his uh, first CFL start. Um, but they won now, the game, right? Well, n- no. Uh, they, they, they picked up 11 points. Unfortunately, the Hamilton uh, got 50. It was a 50 oh. to 11 uh, final. So when I yeah. said, what do you have to lose, really, you had yeah, like... Well. <laughs> A game fifty points that you could lose. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So the interesting thing was that there was during the game, CFL players from other teams were tweeting their criticism of coach uh, Mike Sherman and saying, you know, he, he probably could have used some more prep time and um and and I think people Can were you critical. Imagine if that happened of, in the NFL. Well, 
it's silly because it it looked it's it seemed like the Alouettes That's a bad look. were were using this as you know they have a bad team, uh, tough to fill the seats, and uh, was this a, a ploy? Uh, get him in right away. Get your you know get get the bums in the seats and uh, and get some of your your money back. Was this pure marketing? And you know we've talked about the Canadians themselves uh, doing things for other than hockey decisions. And it looks like uh, at least the criticism is out there that the Owls did something similar, Hmm. uh, bringing Johnny Manziel in. Sorry, Montreal. You didn't have to listen to my advice. (laughs) But I am the representative of the um, Super Bowl championship winning Philadelphia Eagles. So I understand uh, I understand why the Montreal Alouettes took my advice and, and started Johnny Manziel, but you know, mm-hmm. you got to take your lumps. It's, it's a growing process. So, you know, we may talk about the Vikings next week, but uh, on to topic number two, <laughs> the yeah. Rogers, the Rogers cup, a little bit of tennis um, news. Um, I am I've been here out. for all of the Rafa Nadal updates that you have for me. Well, I do have, I do have one. Um, it it better not be a negative Rafa one. Nadal. So this year we have, you know, flip flops. We, uh, we have the Rogers cup in Montreal and in Toronto and they switch every year. The, the men go one way, the, the, the women go the other way. Women are in Montreal this year, men in Toronto. Okay. Um, the rain, the rain in Montreal yesterday. Uh, a couple of the matches were suspended, um, including the the Maria Sharapova. She was up four one when her hers was uh, suspended. So kind of a packed schedule at uh, the the Rogers Cup today uh, in Montreal, uh, including uh, Eugenie Bouchard. She, you know, the hometown darling. She plays today. Um, but the news, the news kind of was coming out of Toronto and there was uh, a bit of pot stirring um, by, it was quotes from both um, Djokovic and Nadell um, that people kind of rolled their eyes. Well, I don't know. Um, that, what the, the two of them, you know, neither uh, one of them is, is ever struck me as the brightest bulb in the, in the, pack um Nadell, you fight? <laughs> well i mean regardless of how you think he plays tennis he's it just rafael nadal is not the brightest bulb in the you know that um so i i don't know if he was prepping people um for you know, the fact he might not do so well at the, the Rogers cup, but he, he basically was writing it off before it began. And um, he said, you know, I don't really care about the Rogers cup. I don't care about Cincinnati. Uh, and, and however I do at either one of them is not going to have any independent impact on the U S open. That's where my focus is. And uh, so all you, As people it coming out, all you people are coming out, in Toronto to cheer me on and, and support me. I don't really care about you because I don't care about this tournament. I didn't play well last year uh, um, in, in Montreal at the Rogers cup. And, you know, who knows what will happen. Um, 
and 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 he won. You know, he he pointed out that he won the U.S. Open last year um, after a, a dismal performance in in Montreal, and so he's he's prepping. And, and you know, doesn't doesn't care too much about the Rogers Cup for well, all you uh, Nadal fans in Toronto. He needs to be at peak performance for his time at Flushing Meadows in New York for the U.S. Open, which I have also attended, and it is fantastic and he needs to defend so from the likes of the Federers and the Djokovic's not that I I I appreciate Roger Federer's tennis skills and I will root for him any day that he is playing anyone other than Rafael Nadal and Djokovic not to be outdone um... (laughs) Djokovic is just whiny he's a good tennis player but he's whiny well he said um, that he has a secret goal. Oh, really? And then he went on to tell his secret. So it's not—it's not so secret. You'll—you'll you'll never be able to guess what his secret goal is. Um, to win another Grand Slam? I don't know. His secret goal is to leapfrog uh, Federer and Nadal and reclaim the number one ranking. Well, <laughs> Novak, let's just let's be let's be realistic here, Novak. Come on now, boy! Surprise no. there, though. <laughs> like, who would have known? That's his goal. That's his goal. I would have never. Yeah. I would have never guessed. All right, so Rogers Cup. We'll keep an eye on it, but you know, it's not very important according to Nadal. So. <laughs> The sports star of the week has to be, in my books, the sports star of the week. Kurt yeah. Overhard. Kirk, Kurt Overhard. Okay. Listen, the, Kurt and, and all the folks at KO Sports, you got the Kurt Overhard KO, got that? Um, uh-huh. Somehow managed to negotiate an eight-year contract extension for their client, uh, John Gibson. Eight years, 6.4. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. Someone explain this to me, please. Where does, where does Giver get off getting an eight-year deal? Explain that to me. Well, I mean, he's, he's, uh, they throw out the, you know, he's, he's got one of the, the highest career um, uh, save percentages since, you know, going back to Ken Dryden and whatnot. Uh, but his career is pretty young and, and not, uh, hasn't proven a lot. And, and, and granted he's in the West, he's Anaheim and we don't, you know, we don't get a lot of news out of there and, and, and he's a solid goalie and he's a bright future and, and all of those things acknowledge that. But I I want Kurt as my agent because (laughs) he he, we might uh, not hear much out of Anaheim, but yeah, like I would think that we would have heard somewhere along the way that you know, hey, guess what? John Gibson is an eight-year extension kind of goalie. No, nobody's heard that. A bit of a leap. Speaking a little bit, a little bit. And if it doesn't so, pan out with him in the next couple of years, if some if something happens and he and he has one or two bad seasons, whoo-hoo, that contract. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. So, 
to uh, Mr. Kurt Overhard. Um, which brings us to, um, and I know it's it's a fan favorite, the National Day. No, it's today. Um, okay, what is today's National Day? Today's National Day is National, on August 7th, National Lighthouse Day. Oh, I don't mind that. I li- I you know I live near as we call it here the Jersey Shore um, and there are tons of lighthouses. Um, I like lighthouses. Well, it's actually um, and it's not just an organization that's it's it's a U.S. Congress designated national day. They did that in 1989, August 7th, uh, 1989, and it was to honor the first federal lighthouse that was. Uh, had that designated 200 years prior 1789 so it's this 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 is a a well-established event i like it of course i don't have one near me well that's the thing so what you're supposed to do on the day is to visit a lighthouse they they encourage everyone on this day to visit a lighthouse well, I guess we need to hurry up this podcast because it takes me two hours to get to the Jersey Shore from here. So I got, I got places to go. Well, it's not, it's not written in their, you know, their charter. But I would, I would just offer an addendum. If you're not near a, a lighthouse, yeah, uh, you play, you play some lighthouse. Oh, for yeah, God's the, sake! The, the supergroup Canada's version of Chicago, one fine morning, sunny days, all that. You know, you play some lighthouse as a substitute. Yeah. Now, of okay. course, Islanders fans, if you say lighthouse hockey, to, <laughs> no, don't say lighthouse hockey to Islanders fans because uh, that's a sore spot. Um, really? That was, well, you remember the, the, the lighthouse project, and that goes back to um, when, when, um, we all get fans from across um, the the league gathered at the draft in Montreal. They were talking the, the the Islanders fans back then were talking about the Lighthouse Project, and it was the it was the Charles Wang. Um, uh, he was his renovation of of the Nassau Coliseum, and it was going to be a four billion dollar project, going to take ten years to build. It was going to renovate the Coliseum. It was going to be uh, it was going to have a sixty story tower of a lighthouse um, and shopping and dining and and um, now that's all defunct because because Nassau County I think they I, I, I guess they were looking for 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 tax money and Nassau County residents voted that down and that's what, partly what's led them to be you know arena shopping um, the last few years Barkley and, and then then back to to Nassau and that whole mess. So yes, that's the lighthouse. So we shouldn't bring that up. To hockey. No, don't bring that up. Okay. Don't mention that at all. Well, happy National Lighthouse Day if you're near one. Actually, okay. Odd anecdote before we actually get into some hockey here. Now that I think about it, so I live in the Lehigh Valley region of Pennsylvania, which is the home of the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, the, the Flyers farm team, um, and it's a it's a kind of small metropolitan area, but immediately outside the city, I mean, you go from city to cornfields in 10 minutes. Um, and there, a few miles up the road from me, there is a farm that for some odd reason has a lighthouse, like right 
like an abandoned, like not a, not a, it doesn't look like it's a functioning lighthouse, but it has like an actual lighthouse near the road. So maybe I should like drive past it today. And hashtag it. And, and then, and take a picture and just be like, here's a lighthouse in the middle of a cornfield for no apparent reason. Happy national lighthouse day. At least they got their lighthouse built. They did. It's more than the Islanders can say. (laughs) All right. Well, let's talk about some hockey, shall we? A little bit. We should. Okay. Uh, You know, one of my, one of, one of the best um, hockey events to look forward to every summer is, is the world junior showcase. And this year it took place, as we mentioned last week, it took place up in Canada at Kamloops at the Sandman center where, um, and now it flips my mind. Is it the Kamloops blazers play? Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, Canada was there. The U.S. was there. Team Finland and Team Sweden. It's the week long. It's it's basically a camp, but they run it kind of mini tournament style. Um, and it's an evaluation camp for all four countries to take a look at guys that they are considering for their World Junior rosters in a few months when the World Junior Championships come around. Um, Finland and Sweden bring bring their roster of guys that they want to evaluate the U S and Canada, on the other hand, usually bring in a double sized roster. They play split squad games the first few days, like the first three or four days of the camp. And then they make cuts down to, down to, you know, about 23 guys, 24 guys or so. Um, and we talked a little bit about it uh, last, last week because some of the split squad games had started Um Roster cuts were made on Wednesday for Canada and the U.S., and then there were three days where every team played the other teams um, over the course of those three days. Um, on Thursday, there were two games, both of which went to overtime. The U.S. beat Sweden 5-4 to four in OT, and Canada beat Finland 4-3 to three in OT. Um, on Friday, the U.S. played Finland in a 2-1 victory over the Finns. Canada kind of took it to Sweden, uh, beat the Swedes four to one. And then on Saturday, big old Canada U S game, of course, didn't disappoint a uh, high scoring game. Canada came out on top in that one with a six to five victory and Sweden beat Finland five to three. So it was um, really good hockey. Um, able to see quite a bit of it. Uh, some, some names really stood out and, Rick, you had mentioned that one thing that you had noticed that you mentioned to me right when the tournament was done was that after the cuts were made, Team Canada went on to win every game that they played. Isn't that right? Indeed, they did. Um, and, um, yeah, the, excluding the, the split squad games, um, then then each team faced off against each other, and, and Canada won uh, each of its games. Um the the overtime game um, against uh, Finland, where they were up, um, I thought pretty comfortably in that game, and then um, uh, Finland scored two two goals in the third period, tied it up, went into overtime. Um, uh, the, as you said, they they had their way with Sweden, and then an exciting um, full offense game against uh, the U.S. to to end the the day on Saturday. 
really exciting hockey um and lots of players that we just uh we've all seen just get drafted uh this past year were on display as well as guys who who were drafted in 2017 uh other guys who are draft eligible for 2019 uh some notable names for for USA hockey Brady Kachuk was there of course Quinn Hughes was there of course um his brother, Jack Hughes, who is currently – the rumblings are there that he could go first overall in the 2019 draft. Jack was there as well, so uh, gave an opportunity for folks to get catch a glimpse of the Hughes brothers playing against each other. Quinn is, of course, a defenseman. Jack is a forward. Um, Ryan Paling uh, was there. He did not – play in any games, which we'll talk about that in just a moment as, as to why that was, but he was, he was there with the team for the week. Um, Caden Primo, uh, another Montreal Canadiens prospect is, uh, was one of the U S goaltenders. Um, pretty noted, some pretty notable names there for, um, uh, Joel Farabee, Jay O'Brien, both flyers prospects were, were there for team USA. Uh, for Team Canada, Morgan Frost, Noah Dobson. Um, my goodness, Rick, there were there were lots of Team Canada guys that were notable names uh, and all kind of making an making a good impact out there. Maxine Comtois, I know, made some some headlines. I know you were <laughs> you were way up on the Maxine Comtois, but the penalty penalty problems. Um, but then mm-hmm. came back to to score the the game winner. <clears throat> That's right. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, some of those names that you mentioned, I thought, uh, really, Hudson, um, he had, uh, two goals, um, um, in the four, three game, um, against, uh, Finn. I thought he was, he was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and continuing on with defenseman, Quinn Hughes was, was unbelievable and seeing him with Jack, they, 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 they play uh, paired up Ooh. a couple of times, but Quinn Hughes against, um, against Sweden. Um, Oh yeah. That, that overtime game, uh, he had three, three assists in that game. Uh, but the, the play that he made, uh, three on three, uh, to, to go around two Swedes and then to, to slide a pass to Josh Norris and uh, for the game winner was ridiculous um with 1.6 seconds left in overtime yeah that's right um who else was 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 notable well jack uh, i i think uh jack hughes uh as well um he he didn't look out of place there as a 17 year old um you know um he was always a threat for the u.s um kupare with with um uh, just very caught Konami, the, the Canadians uh, prospect, not at the tournament. Uh, Kapari for Finland um, mm-hmm. was, was, um, was very skilled. He's speedy um, on that Finland team. Um, you know, a name people may not know Arnie Talvidi. Um I know Craig Button was pretty, pretty, pretty high, high on, on him. him. Yeah. Uh, um, Talvidi had uh, four goals in five games in the tournament. Yeah, he he was um, all over the place. I thought he was very way. good. Yeah, um, you had Nick mentioned Suzuki did uh, well. Uh, Farabee, I thought was good. I thought O'Brien was good as well. 
mm-hmm. the Flyers uh, prospects. Um, yeah, I, 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 there was, there was a lot, this, this is always a good tournament and there was, there's, there's always going to people, there, there's going to be people, uh, players who solidify their kind of, you know, expectations. And then there's going to be surprises. Maybe Telvita was, was one of those surprises. Um, I think so. Yeah. But, but a very, yeah, a really, really good tournament. Um, and, and it was great to, uh, to get audio, um, uh, from uh, from some of those players, and um, and uh, you might want to direct people to where they can hear that because uh, even as you said, Brian Paling, who didn't uh, wasn't able to play because of his tonsillitis, he had uh, he had some interesting words as well. Absolutely. Before we get to that, I do I do want, we're talking about guys who who were there, and I have to say that uh, you know I'd be remiss without mentioning that uh, the player with my favorite name was there yet again and that would be Ukapeka Lukanen. And he was there and he was in net. Right. Uh Ukapeka Lukanen was there. You have to say the whole name. You can't just say Lukanen. It's you have to say the whole thing. You just do. Mm. Um but you're right. Uh we did have some exclusive audio uh for uh some one-on-one interviews with Ryan Paling. Jay O'Brien, Joel Farabee, and Morgan Frost, thanks to some coordinated efforts with uh, USA Hockey and Hockey Canada. Um, and yes, so as I had kind of teased a little a few minutes ago, uh, Ryan Paling did not play in any games for Team USA. Um, that was not publicly known going into the tournament. He was there and participating in practices, however, all week. And of course, he was not cut on cut day either. I would, I'm sure that they are expecting that he is going to make the roster. Uh, So when he didn't take the ice for the first USA game, uh, of course, you know, social media was all a buzz of, Oh, why is Ryan Paling scratched? What's going on? Um, And turns out that he was, has been dealing with a recur over the years has dealt with um, recurring bout, with strep throat and tonsillitis. Uh, And so after development camp, uh, he had surgery to remove his tonsils. And I believe there was also something involving a deviated septum as well. Um, And so he is still recovering from that. Um, Has not, he, he has been cleared enough to participate in practices, but has not had full medical clearance to play in games yet. So which that's why he sat out all of the games, but was expecting I think even today he had said within a day or two after he got home from from Kamloops he'd be going to the doctor to get his final medical clearance to to fully uh, get back into training and playing again. So he'll be fine. But I do have some audio if you want to just take a listen here. This is what Ryan Paling had to say about how he's feeling and how his recovery process is going along. Yeah, no, I feel I feel way better. I mean the last three, four weeks have been pretty bad for me, but I've, I've, I mean, it's, it's nothing you can't handle. And it's honestly, it's going to help me in the long run if, if it even does hurt me right now, which I don't think it will, but it's something that needed to be done. And I've kind of dealt with strep throat slash tonsillitis uh, in the past few years. So I was glad to get that off my plate. It, it feels way better now, but I'm still not a hundred percent. I'm getting there, which is uh, for me, I'm excited for, for it to be over with. So as you hear Ryan say there, you know, he's, he's coming along. I think it's, he was, obviously a little disappointed that he's not able to play in any games this week, but for him, the the thing that he kept talking about, and I have another audio clip here from him that I'd like to play for you is 
is it sounds like, especially for him, a big part of this camp, Rick, is is getting that team cohesion. And for the guys, you know, most of these guys know each other. A lot of them have played together before, whether it's for Team USA or, you know, elsewhere in, in the hockey realm. And it's just about getting together, spending this week and a half or so week together and bonding and just starting to really become a team and that team cohesion. And uh, this is a little bit of what Ryan Paling had to say to us about that. Um, I think we show a lot of uh, depth. I think that's the biggest part in this tournament, too, is guys can get hurt. I mean, you play seven games in a matter of 10, 11 days, so that's that's always an option when guys are getting hurt, so depth is always key. And then I think, like I said, we're, we're kind of playing as a team, which is which is what you want. I played on a lot of teams growing up, and it's not necessarily the best ones that win. It's kind of the ones that come together and don't just play with each other but for each other, and I think that's the biggest part is, is if we can keep that going and hopefully bring that to the tournament, we have a good chance of winning it. Rick, I think my favorite part of that quote is how he talks about, you know, a lot of times it's not the the team with the most skill that wins, but it's the team that, that looks out for each other the most that wins. And I think that's a very mature, that, it's a very Ryan Paling point of view, I think. Um, I, you know, it's one of those one of those things that really sets him apart as far as his character and his maturity uh, at his age as a hockey player. And, and good to hear him, you know, have that kind of solid grounding and, and good head on his shoulders. Well, I think, uh, you know, a lot's made of chemistry and, and um, you know, is, is do, do skills comp- complement each other? And I think it goes one step or maybe two steps further uh, when you're playing a tournament like this because, uh, there's there's playing for each other. Um, there's that 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 brotherhood of knowing people and 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 you know standing up and looking for each other. And there's also that that patriotic aspect of playing for your country and and knowing that you're representing you're a representative as soon as you put that jersey on of your country. Mm-hmm. And so the, you know that kind of that kind of chemistry that kind of bond uh, is a little bit different and um, and and one that. For those that haven't been, of course, uh, Ryan has, uh, but for those who haven't been to this kind of situation, it's something new for them to experience, and it's good for them to experience in a pre-tournament uh, type of, of competition before they get to the World Juniors um, at the end of the year. That's right. One of the things that before my interview with Ryan Paling wrapped up, uh, talked to him just a, just briefly about, you know, as as we've talked about here earlier in the summer during development camp, M- Montreal's issues down the middle, Mark Bergevin tried to make it look like he's done everything he can this summer to, to address at least depth down the middle. Um, and so talk to, to Paling a bit about how he and Kokinemi are, are kind of being set up as, as the future at the center position and, and what he, what he thinks about having, having that kind of pressure on him. And, and here's what he had to say in response to that. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. I think, I mean, a lot of people have asked me about that question and asked if it adds any pressure. And I mean, to be honest, of course it does, but that's part of being an athlete and being a professional athlete, if you want to be one is the pressure that you have to handle. And I think that kind of creates what type of, what type of player you're going to be. And I think a lot of players can crack under that pressure, but the, the best ones kind of come to it. And I think that's kind of what I want to do. I mean, especially playing in Montreal, that's, that's, what they all say is the pressure. I mean, people are so quick to judge. So 
you, you have an extra amount of pressure that you have to handle. And I think that's what I'm most excited about is kind of proving myself there and hoping that the pressure is, I guess, motivating for myself. I think, uh, and, and I, I think I recall that when you listened to this interview, Rick, that you, you uh, chuckled at, at this point where he said in that quote, you know, a high pressure situation, like playing in a city like Montreal, where people are quote, quick to judge. <laughs> it's good that he, it's good that he's aware of that uh, at, at this young and of an age that, that people are a bit quick to judge in the city. <laughs> Well, um, uh, it was clear uh, from the Montreal Canadiens and, and for Mark Bergevin and Mark Bergevin, who's under fire, the Canadians who are under fire from their fans, um, uh, they wanted to come out and market uh, their development camp uh, by, by um, you know, at, at every turn you saw Paling and Kokanemi, they tied their skates together, they, were, they followed each other in drills, they, you know, um, they, it was being that these are the 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 that Mark Bergevin has gone out and 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 solved the issue that has plagued the Canadians for so long. I thought that was a bit well, and 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 many people did thought it was a bit unfair to put all that pressure um, on two guys who are you know still uh, some time away from from being in the NHL lineup. That don't yeah. worry, and as bad as we're going to be, um, we've we've got a plan. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and here you go, guys, uh, we're throwing you to the wolves and, and you better, you know, you better survive. And, and, um, the, uh, the interesting thing about the interview is that, uh, I think that, that Paling recognizes that he recognizes that and, and, um, and for now, uh, embraces that pressure, uh, and, um, and and good for I mean it's a good outlook. I still think you know there's a lot to put on two uh, very young guys. One just drafted mm-hmm. in June, um, and uh, but at least their uh, their approach they're they're approaching it at a paling um, anyway is approaching it the right way. Absolutely. If you'd like to listen to the full audio from uh, our interview with Ryan Paling from last week, uh, that is a standalone post an article at ahl.report uh you can go and you can listen it was uh, probably a good five or six minute long interview we we chatted about a couple of things ryan had some great things to say so i uh i encourage you to to head over to ahl.report and listen to the full audio there of our exclusive interview with ryan paling this summer uh briefly i just want to share uh, a couple of clips from some of the flyers prospects uh notably Morgan Frost and Jay O'Brien. Um, first up, Morgan Frost, um, it's it's come out recently that he's he's really uh, looking to be one of the, the highest prospects uh, that the Flyers have in the farm system right now. Um, a lot of promise being shown by, by this young athlete. Uh, certainly looked, looked like he had a decent tournament last week. Um, and for him, I... The the clip that I'd like to share, you know, he's just coming off all of a lot of these players are coming off of their development camps just a few weeks ago. And so I asked him how participating in development camp and then turning around a few weeks later and having to prepare for and participate in uh, a very high level tournament style camp like this, 
what that's like for for a player in their summer training and and whether or not participating in development camp if if you're able if if he's able to pull things from development camp to help prepare for uh, last week's event and and this is what Morgan Frost had to say. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, you know, it's never easy to just hop into, you know, such an intense and um, important event like this in the middle of the summer. So, um, you know, having development camp before this where, you know, it, it's, it's equally as important and, um, you know, it, it really helped me prepare for this. So, um, you know, the skates every day and, you know, being uh, off the ice, just getting back kind of in, uh, you know, full hockey mode, full hockey groove was, was, uh, was good. And, and it definitely prepared me for this. And I think Rick, what, what, Frost said there, I think probably applies across the board for, for any of these guys that participated in their development camps with, with NHL teams as well, that there are, you know, there are things you pull. It's, it's two different types of play. You know, you're looking at, at NHL play and international play, um, different coaching styles, different objectives, those types of things, but that they can pull things from that development camp and it gets them in that mindset to not just, you know, have your typical summer training schedule, but get out there and, and get the legs under you and get back to, you know, skating and practicing every day and, and, and really gearing up for the season ahead. So it seems, it seems like we always talk about how we kind of consider this event, the kickstart to the, to the upcoming season. And I think having it, at the time that it's held so closely after development camps is, is quite beneficial to, to all of the players. I think with, with Morgan Frost, there's just a level of awareness of, of self-awareness, what ex, what's expected of him, uh, mm-hmm. the roles that, you know, you say that, that his roles are uh, maybe different from, from uh, going from development camp to um, a, a pre-world junior tournament. Um, but he knows what what that's all about, and and uh, another another one who uh, accepts um, the the pressure, the expectation, knows that you know probably in the in the Flyers organization he's the n- number two prospect, uh, you know, right behind um, Carter Hart, um, yeah. the the number one prospect, and Flyers. <laughs> Don't screw up another goaltender. Carter Hart is, is a gem. That'd be nice <laughs> yeah, um, we're but, trying. But yeah, just just the the uh, yeah, just the awareness, just the the poise that uh, that uh, a, a player like uh, Morgan Frost has is, uh, you know, um, it, it's really nice to see. Absolutely. The, the last clip I want to play before we move along to other things here is just when we covered flyers development camp for a day uh, just, just last month, um, you know, Jay O'Brien first round draft pick this year, just, just a couple of spots uh, after Joel Farabee. I think he went 19th overall. Um, Farabee went 14th um, and showed some incredible skill during development camp. Really liked what we saw uh, on the ice and whatnot, but have to say um Mature for his age, very well spoken, really, really genuinely nice, nice guy uh, for interviews and and so forth. And every time we've interviewed him, henceforth, he's always got at least one quote that just makes me smile and say, "My goodness, this this kid is is beyond his years." And so this particular clip is one I asked I asked Jay 
what it was that his, what his personal goal was for the week. What was it that he was looking to go out and show USA Hockey's coaches and management and staff what he can bring to a world junior roster. And, uh, and, and this is what O'Brien had to say. Uh, I think just being all around good kid, good player. Um, I think just, just with my on, on ice stuff, just use my skill and my speed and hockey sense with this to make plays all the ice, but off the ice too, just be a well-rounded, good kid, good positive kid and, and just bring that to the locker room. And um, obviously it's my first time here at the camp. So just try to soak it all in and, and have some fun. You know, Rick, sometimes, sometimes, you know, especially with the young guys at, at this age, we do call them kids. But to hear him speak about himself in the third person and call himself, it says he just wants to go out there and be a good kid and show that he's a good kid a few times. Just great personality with Jay O'Brien, but also very, very uh, mature for his years. And uh, another great another great answer from, from a guy that I think is going to really surprise a lot of people. Well, I yeah, and and um, you know I I liked what I uh, what I saw from him on on the ice at development camp, but he he was um, he was one that that I wanted to be sure that uh, that we interviewed because he he just had a he had that look in his eye. He was he's a hockey player's hockey player, and uh, you know and at at the the summer showcase he was he had a a, a very good uh, camp he. He's speedy. Um, he can skate, um, and you know he's coming from playing against high school players um, into that kind of environment. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, he had two goals, two assists throughout the tournament. He he looked great, but but just uh, yeah, again, he's got a a, a, a spark and and, uh, um, and and understands that it's there's more to there's more to being a man than than um than playing hockey and and uh understands the the expectations of of him as a player but also as a as a person and uh and as someone who's representing his country absolutely uh joel farabee also had some some really good things to say as well so again i'm going to direct folks to uh ahl.report uh the Inter- the full audio of the interviews with Morgan Frost, Joel Farabee, and Jay O'Brien can be found embedded in uh, some of our game recaps from the World Junior Showcase. So just go to AHL Report, look for the recaps of the World Junior Showcase, and if you look in those, you'll see uh, our audio player is embedded in there, and you can listen to the full audio from those interviews as well. Lots of good information from, from those guys in those exclusive interviews that you can't find anywhere else except here at the AHL report. Um, and we'll continue to bring you all sorts of exclusive um, access to players and coaches like that throughout the season. Uh, Rick, before we move on to some AHL news, uh, there's a bit of uh, breaking NHL news that I just want uh, that we should likely touch on, and that is uh, sad news coming out of Chicago as the Blackhawks have announced that at the age of 78, Stan Makita has passed away today. Um, And it looks like already the uh, outpourings of of memories and and things like that are already starting to happen on social media. Uh, So tip of the hat and a stick tap to Stan Makita, who passed away today at the age of 78. Yeah, Stan Makita, uh, one of those um, 
one of those legends that would be considered a, a gentleman um, uh, off the ice, and and but a very tough player to play uh, against on the ice. Uh, very versatile. Um, uh, he, he was, you know, um, he could be in any role. But but I remember in those days when Chicago and and uh, the Canadians had more of a uh, a rivalry. He was the one that was, you know, out there to shut down um, the the offensive players of the Canadians, and and uh, um, yeah, one of one of the, the one of the greats uh, uh, from the Blackhawks. And uh, very sad news. Our condolences to uh, his family and teammates. Absolutely. Uh, moving over to some AHL news, as we said, it feels like every week we have a new head coach to announce in the AHL. There's going to be a lot of new faces uh, behind the bench on a lot of teams this year. Um, and we had talked a couple weeks ago about the fact that um, fairly late in the summer here uh, that the New Jersey Devils had promoted uh, the head coach from Binghamton, Kowalski, up to an assistant coaching position for the Devils leaving Binghamton in the lurch for a head coach just a, you know, a month out of with a month left um, in the summer. And they have indeed uh, quickly, it only took a couple of weeks for them to do a head coach search and they have hired Mark Dennehy as the new head coach for the, uh, their AHL team. He's replacing Rick Kowalski. Dennehy is 50 years old. Um, interestingly enough, I have to say this is this is I had to have been a roller coaster year for Mark Dennehy. Mark Dennehy spent the last 13 seasons as the head coach at Merrimack College. Um, he was Hockey East Conference Coach of the Year in 2009 and 10. Um, so he's he's spent 13 years at Merrimack. He was let go from Merrimack. I want to say back in March of this year. He was hired to be the head coach and director of hockey ops for the Wheeling Nailers, the ECHL affiliate of the Pittsburgh Penguins, at the end of May. So he went, you know, two months after being let go from Merrimack. Two months later, Wheeling picks him up as their head coach, director of hockey ops. That was the end of May. So fast forward now two months, another two months goes by, and August 1st, he gets hired as the head coach for the Binghamton Devils without having ever coached a game for Wheeling. So, um bit of a bit of a roller coaster for Mr. Dennehy this year, I think. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was yeah, um how did he he got fired at Merrimack. He got hired at Wheeling as a coach, as you said, didn't coach a game and now is is he An AHL jumped coach. To the ECHL, now he jumped to the you know what? I think if we look carefully, yeah. that Kurt Kurt Overhart's behind this. I think that uh, he's got to be. Kurt's his agent. He's got to be. I mean, yeah. who can pull that off? His handiwork. Yeah. No, I don't. So, know. <laughs> don't, don't so don't as far as that. I can tell, Wheeling yeah. is still now scrambling to find a head coach. Um, bit of an unfortunate situation for for the Nailers as 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 they now need to find someone else to fill that role, but. Binghamton and director has a coach. of hockey ops. And director of hockey ops. Which yes. I imagine they'll roll into the same person again. Maybe. Who knows? It's never a dull moment in hockey, folks. Never, ever. Nicely done. 
Um, also, the Hershey Bears, we've talked quite a bit about how the Hershey Bears kind of cleaned house this year. They have a new uh, f- development philosophy going into into this coming season, along with a new head coach, new assistant coaches. Uh, and one of those assistant coaches has uh, been hired to be an assistant for the Washington Capitals. Um, of course, Barry Trotz did not renew. He did not re-up after winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, went to went to the Islanders and took some took some staff with him. To be frank, um, and so that would be Reed Cashman, uh, who was an assistant coach with the Hershey bears for the last two years and uh, looks to be now will be the coach, the defensive coach for the Washington capitals. So another promotion from the AHL to the NHL. And Scott, Scott Arneal, the other coach that um, was, was hired by the capitals as an assistant. Um, he's been out of the AHL for, um, for a while with Columbus, with the Rangers, but, but he does have AHL roots, uh, and those go back to the Chicago Wolves. Uh, Mantova mm-hmm. Moose um, actually made it to the Calder Cup final uh, with the Moose. Um, so, yeah, there's some AHL uh, grooming that's gone on with, uh, with both of the assistant coaches for uh, the Washington Capitals. And and while we're while we're um, talking about the Bears, yeah, uh, and the cap and the Capitals, yeah. One of the nice things about we 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 we've been seeing the 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 Stanley Cup as it's making its way around uh, as different members of the Washington Capitals get their day with the cup and and we saw Braden Holtby in Saskatchewan and the Prairies with the cup. It's been all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the nice thing um, when you're an AHL affiliate of uh, the parent team that's won the, the Stanley Cup, you get your day too. Um, nice. So that the Stanley Cup uh, will be in Hershey, um, and that is Sunday, October seventh, uh, in in a game um, against Bridgeport. Uh, nice. It will be the Stanley Cup day in in Hershey, and and uh, there'll be uh, photo opportunities and whatnot um, um, there. So for uh, those fans. Um, you'll get a chance to be with the Cup. That's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. That is pretty fun. Um, there has been one uh, particular AHL contract signing that happened this week that uh, many of many of our Montreal Canadiens, Laval Rocket, St. John's Ice Caps fans and listeners will uh, like to hear about, and that is Yannick Veille, uh who has been with the Montreal affiliate now for a couple of years. Um, and we wondered if where he was, where he was going to be playing in the fall. Um, as the summer progressed, it looked more and more like he would not get re-signed uh, through the Canadians organization. And in fact, he has not, he has signed a one year AHL contract with the Rochester Americans. So he stays in the Eastern conference. Uh, his former teammates will see him, out on the ice, uh, he will be reunited with a former teammate, Zach Redmond. Uh, so he'll he and he and Zach Redmond will be playing together again. Um, last season, Veya skated in 52 Rocket games and had three goals and four assists last year. And very stand up, 
stand-up guy, uh, and we wish Yannick all the best in Rochester. Yeah, he's just um, he's a veteran. He's smart. Um, he has ECHL experience, uh, even last year. Um, remember uh, Coach Sylvain Lefebvre saying that um, Yannick Villeneuve hits hits clean but hits to hurt. Um, mm-hmm. he, he said that that, that uh, Veo was the kind when he was playing the way uh, uh, Veo hit. So he was the, the the kind that he he didn't like to get hit by by guys like yeah. that. Um, and until Van um, is a big guy, so, <laughs> so that's yeah, yeah, saying yeah. something. <laughs> um, and that that uh, back in March in um, Syracuse, um, the Laval uh, w- was getting run out of the building, both in terms of the score and, and getting pasted uh, throughout the game. And uh, late in the third period, it was Yannick Vieux that, that uh, came over the boards and just uh, a beeline for, for one of the, the, the crunch and uh, demolished him later. The, the pictures from that game, the fans have are gasping because uh, Vieux just – he didn't stop, and uh, the uh, um, officials went in, and then they backed away and said, "Oh no, we're not getting in that in the middle of that." And uh, yeah. and it was just standing up and saying, "No, you're not going to do this to us." Right. Um, I'm done. Not I've had do it to my teammates. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great guy. Great guy. And well, and, and we interviewed him afterwards, and he was and he was very back to his quiet, humble self after the game, even when we asked him about it. It's, you know, <laughs> very different player on the ice. Something that needed to be done is basically, yes. yeah. That's right. Um, speaking about people, guys supporting one another, um, and a really felt story in the AHL the last couple of years has been the story of Craig Cunningham, uh, who, if if folks remember, uh, back in November of 2016, um, had a heart attack on the ice uh, while while he and the rest of his Tucson Roadrunners team uh, were out standing for the national anthem, and uh, came close to to not making it through that episode. Uh, underwent several surgeries, uh, had some complications post surgery, and ended up losing. Uh, the lower portion of his left leg to amputation. Um, and Craig's Craig's story of recovery has been told time and again over the last uh, almost two years, and and how he's how far he's come, his determination, his grit. Uh, he is now uh, working in the Arizona organization, so that he is staying in hockey. Um, he is he the Coyotes have signed him. Uh, to a two-year contract as a pro scout now, uh, so he's he is doing well. Um, but that kind of bravery and and determination and grit seems to run in the family because uh, Rick, his his brother Ryan, has set up. Um, I, I guess I guess you could call it a, cha- a charitable event. Uh, it's called Pushing the Envelope Trek to Fight Cardiac Arrest. And his brother has committed himself to riding close to 200 kilometers a day 
and his his intent is that over the course of about 16 days, he will ride a bicycle to let's see, 2,600 kilometers from his home in Castlegar to Tucson, Arizona. 2,600 kilometers. That's and, right. Uh, He's hoping to raise $50,000 and just in general raise awareness about um, heart awareness and heart health and, and hoping to raise some, some money for the Craig Cunningham All Heart Foundation. Um, really amazing story. And Craig was a member of uh, the Vancouver Giants, uh, like Brendan Gallagher. Um, and mm. so... Uh, there's some there's some natural ties there, uh, and with Ryan uh, living in Castlegar, uh, is going to make that that trip, um, hoping to raise overall fifty thousand dollars. They've set up a a GoFundMe page, um, so look up his page on uh, on Facebook or, or GoFundMe, and and if you're so inclined, um, you might want to contribute um, to that worthwhile charity. And if you see his brother out there on the road, be sure to give a honk and toss him a bottle of water. I'm sure he would appreciate it. <laughs> it's going to be this time of year. Bicycling down to Tucson, Arizona is not going to be very cool. So it'll be a, a grueling trek, to say the least. Um, now, just a just a brief visit to the Montreal Canadiens, Rick. Just a brief visit. There's not, uh, as far as news, you know, there's nothing really circulating. Um Max Pacioretty still doesn't have a, a contract extension, but he still hasn't been traded, um, thankfully. Um, so not really a ton of news coming out of Montreal, except, except you know, we've talked about how uh, that center position has been kind of an area of contention for the Canadians the last couple of years and was a big focus point for this year's draft and this year's offseason. Um, one of those one of those controversial players around that position, especially last year has been Jonathan Duran, uh, notoriously a winger who has been uh, out of complete necessity shifted to the center position last year by Mark Bergevin uh, when, when they acquired him from Tampa Bay. Um, And, Everyone knows that Mark Bergevin thought that Jonathan Duran was going to be his his poster boy uh, solution for that one C position, and that it was it was going to be the Jonathan Duran show. And that very quickly became apparent that that wasn't going to be the case. Uh, Duran had a less than a less than stellar season in terms of what the expectations were of him. Um, and to the point that, that Bergevin has said more than once in press conference situations that admittedly Jonathan Duran, uh, you know, is not playing at his natural position and that there's a learning curve and that, you know, oh, I don't know, perhaps he'd be better off at wing if we can find that one seat. Well, the question has been, with all of these moves that Bergevin has made in the off season, okay, well, here's what the roster could look like opening night contingent upon whether or not Duran is still playing center or if he's going to be moved off to the wing, which is frankly what he, what should happen because he'll, there's no doubt he'll be more productive at wing. 
And Rick Jonathan uh, Jonathan Duran seems to are seems to have an, a strong inclination as to what the answer to that is, at least according to him this week. Yeah, he um, he was quoted um, as saying that that it looks like. It looks that way for sure that he'll be back to playing center um, again uh, this upcoming season. He says he doesn't make the decisions, but that's where he played last year. Um, he feels comfortable knowing that going into this season, that that's likely where he's going to play. Now, um, uh, I think there's two things going on there. One, it's uh, it seems that he's been told um, uh, that's likely where you're going to play. And, uh, and so prepare yourself. And, and apparently he's changed up his training re- regimen to, uh, to accommodate that. But also, um, you know, we know that the Canadians have a new communications uh, head and, and, uh, and this seems a bit uh, uh, by design that this was, you know, rather than uh, Mark Bergevin or someone from the Kings coming out and, and, and getting criticized for the, uh, you know, uh, uh, not being, well, failing to uh, fill that uh, position uh, the last two seasons, um, they've, they've left that to um, Jonathan Duran to innocently say that's what he's doing this summer. He's preparing uh, and preparing differently to take on on that role uh, of being uh, the Canadians' number one center. Well, the the funny thing about that, Rick, too, is that, as you say, it's Jonathan Duran who's who's the one with the quote about it. But it was a quote made to the Montreal Gazette, um, and so Duran is is at uh, Chris Letang's three-on-three charity hockey tournament in Montreal this past weekend. And so did an interview with the Gazette while he was at that charity tournament. And that's when this quote came out. So, you know, it's funny. We, you, you mentioned how there's a new communications director and there's all this talk about the transparency and things like that. But it takes to, to get this kind of a quote, it does, as you say, it doesn't come from management. It's coming from the player in a, uh, you know, this is what I'm expecting to have happen, kind of, kind of way, um, but not at a Canadians event or anything like that at a press conference. It's, it's to an, in, it's, it's in an interview to a Montreal publication, which is kind of interesting. And it's the second time in the last week that something like this has happened because the Canadians were not the ones who put out any information that Ryan Paling had had tonsil surgery. That didn't come out until he didn't play in the first game at the World Junior Showcase. And our friend Mike Morreale from from NHL.com asked him asked Paling about it in an interview post in the post game pressers after the first game. And and then you know then it was reported through the Canadians that oh in an interview with Mike Morreale Paling talks about so. <laughs> It's funny, you know, they have this new transparency thing, but it's the players are getting their own information out through other avenues, which to me is a little, it's a little, I don't know, it's a little confusing to me, but what do I know? Right? Well, I'll, I'll leave the paling um, one alone, but, um, uh, you know, this, this one uh, smacks uh, of, of being, 
guided by Canadians. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's funny. There's a myth out there uh, that uh, on under the Mark Bergevin regime, uh, the Canadians suffer no leaks. There's no leaks. You never know anything. Uh, th- that's just absolute hogwash. And and maybe it's just the you know the innocence of of people um, not understanding the the industry. But the Canadians leak all the time, and intentionally, um, you know. And and it often goes to uh, team-friendly uh, mainstream media, the, the René Lavoie, uh, Francois Gagnon. Uh, in this case, it was Pat Hickey. Um, so uh, this 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 was done by design uh, to get this mm-hmm. information out there. Uh, and again, you know, the Canadians went into the off-season. I think Mark Bergevin went into the off-season with the unrealistic expectation that. Uh, he was going to put all his eggs in one basket uh, almost and, and go after John Tavares. And John Tavares said, no, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I won't even meet with you. Um, uh, Paul Stasny at least took the call uh, as yeah. the backup. He took the call, but uh, smartly, and he's probably got, um, you know, some family uh, with some NHL experience guiding things, particularly yeah, knowing the bit. situation in Quebec. Uh, said, uh, why don't you give Max Pacioretty a call? And, and uh, when Max said, gee, I, you know, I don't even know my own situation, then, um, then Paul said no thanks to the Canadians and, and signed with Vegas. So, um, you know, with, with those two failures, then, then now uh, Bergevin's again left in the situation uh, where he failed with Radulov last year, and, and uh, uh, he's left in that situation of, okay, um, you know, we, I, I brought in Jonathan Duran to be my Superman, to be, to be, uh, first of all, to, to make people forget about DK Subban. Uh, uh, Jonathan Duran was Subban 2.0. And, and last mm-hmm. year we, he was seen all over the city at different events. He was, and he had his own little, uh, uh, charity donation, uh, fundraising for, for a different hospital. And they try and, and, and because Duran doesn't have the personality, it, it, it fell flat. It didn't work. Uh, and then he fell flat on the ice, put into a position that he wasn't comfortable with. He had a, a terrible season. His offense was down. You know, his, his face-offs improved over the year, but still not to the level of a first-line center. His uh, defensive play was terrible. Um, but now he's going to train differently and, and says he's, you know, sometimes you have to play quick. Sometimes you have to play heavy. He understands that and he's going to be ready to play heavy, I guess. Um, <laughs> whatever that's, whatever we'll, that's we'll going to look like. See how from, that goes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, overall kind of segues nicely into an article, uh, that you had seen, this week and, and, and talked a bit about uh, on, on social media in terms of the Canadians front office and, and what kind of, you know, how much confidence they're invoking um, in, in folks around the league. And, and there were some interesting results as far as where the Canadians fell in, in that survey. Yeah, this is something um, that was done at the Hockey News uh, the past two seasons. 
the the author has moved over to the athletics, so the athletics picked it up. But we have three years of of kind of data to go on. It's a, a confidence survey, and uh, and I know this caused great confusion with <laughs> with people that don't understand the the you know a bit beyond their comprehension. They think about Twitter no. polls, and no, it's not anything like that. This it's is a, a bit, Twitter poll. This is this is a survey that has a certain um, defined methodology. Uh, more than 2,000 um, uh, fans took part, um, and, and it's the kind of things that are, that are done in 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 other industries. There's you know um, um, job approval ratings, uh, polling companies do do surveys uh, to rate. So this is this is gathering a, a fair but a fair bit of information in different categories and rating the what fans' confidence is in those, those, uh, the front office management in those different categories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, uh, the other interesting part of it is the split where, um, they, they look at, uh, for the Canadians, for example, they look at Canadians fans evaluation of their front office. And then they look at out of market. They look at, uh, league wide fans and their, um, ratings, their evaluation of of, of the Canadians' uh, uh, front office again in those different categories: uh, roster building, cap management, uh, development, drafting, trading, free agency, the vision, the plan, um, all of those different things. Um, and and the, the Canadians um, finished thirtieth uh, in this um, this fan survey, thirtieth. Uh, only the 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 Ottawa Senators are below, and you, I mean, oh well, you know, the, we know the, how that's going. <laughs> yeah, the mess that are the the Ottawa Senators right now. Um, so the Canadians are are in in trouble in terms of fans having confidence in their ability to uh, to have a vision, to have a plan, their trades, their free agency, their roster building, their cap uh, management, all of those things that Canadians are. Are dreadful, and you look through those different categories, and they they rank near the bottom in in just about everything. Um, and it's it's not it's not the only uh, it, you know it's not just because the Canadians had a bad season; they had a terrible season last year, and so fans are you know uh, grumpy. Uh, that mm-hmm. that that's 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 too simplistic to an approach, yeah. um, because you know, while they're 30th uh, this year, they were 28th in, in, in 2017 and 29th in 2016 when there was actually some, you know, uh, those two years, there was much better performances than, than this last year. But yet the confidence uh, that fans had both in Montreal and around the league um, wasn't there, just wasn't there. Um, and the author wrote... Um, I, I thought a, a pretty damning um, um, quote. Let me just take it for right from the article. Bergevin took a team with a young core featuring a future Hart winner, future Norris winner, future four-time 30-goal scorer, and a third overall pick. So we're talking about PK. We're talking about Price. We're talking about Pacioretty. We're talking about Galchenyuk. And Bergevin took that uh, group and completely ran the team into the ground. Um, and that's, that's harsh. 
um, but it's it's the absolute truth. It is, and you know, as you say, this wasn't you know, click a button on Twitter and tell us and rank the teams. This was, you know, this was a little more in depth than that, and you know. <sighs> going into a season which I don't think Mark Bergevin ever wanted to use the term rebuild, but now is at a point that he's kind of forced into that corner and acknowledging that things were so bad last year that, that a a bit of a rebuild is necessary. Um, The decisions that have been made this off season aren't doing, there are some decisions that you could argue have a silver lining to them. Or, or might give some fans some hope. Um, you know, there are, there are those who, who think that bringing in Ducharme and Joel Bouchard are, are going to be uh, in, in the coaching ranks is, is going to be um, a good solution. Um, there are those who, who disagree with that as well. But overall, I, I think the tone from the summer is, is not the, especially coming off of a draft where the Canadians were stocked with picks and walked away from the draft going, Hmm, well, that didn't go like any of us predicted it would Um, just leads to further distrust of, of are the right decisions going to be made? Um, And, and how are the decisions that have been made? How are they going to contribute to actually turning things around into a successful organization this year? And I don't know that, I don't know that there's an answer to that at least not one that, that fans are going to like. Yeah, there's, there's, there are many who are quick, too quick to dismiss this. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, I didn't author this. I've, I've authored um, uh, many surveys uh, in, in other industries, and, and uh, so I know what it means. Um, I authored this one, so I, I'm not defending it, but I'm, I'm – uh, for, I'm, I'm arguing against those who think this is absolutely meaningless. And I think that uh, Jeff Molson uh, should really, uh, this, this should open his eyes uh, if they're not already opened. Um, and not only the fact that, that it came this year, but that it's three years. And mm-hmm. one, of his, one of his prongs, one of the things at the end of the year that said was his focus is a complete new communication strategy and more transparency. But you brought up the word trust. Uh, the, the, the name of the survey is a confidence survey. This, sur- this survey is saying the fans do not have confidence and they do not have trust. And if right. they don't have trust um, in, in the front office management, that means they don't have a, a trust in your message as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it doesn't matter what kind of uh, glossy kind of thing you're going uh, you're going to change in your communication strategy or if you're going how you're going to use social media and how you're going to use players um, if the fans don't have confidence and trust in your plan in your message uh, they're not going to buy into any of this no no they're not um and and time is really the clock is ticking down for the start of the season when it's time to to put put the money where the mouth is and 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 see what happens. Training camp is about training camp is a month away. Yikes! Training camp's a month away. Um, <laughs> training camp's a month away, and and rosters are two months away from being set for opening night. Um, 
it doesn't leave it doesn't leave them much time to turn that kind of outlook from a fan perspective around if 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 they even can um and just to give it a little bit more shading um you look at at uh, rivals of 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 the um Canadians Tampa Bay and Toronto um Tampa Bay's number 1 Toronto's number 2 in this confidence survey so uh, Canadians have a lot of work to do. They certainly do, especially well, and especially when the Ottawa Senators are the only ones that are doing worse than you are. Um, I, th- I think that should be motivation to improve things, <laughs> to say the least. And just just about um, ranking, we had a. I talked about um, last week. We talked about ranking the the rebuilds. Uh, that was a Washinsky thing. Um, mm-hmm. Canadians didn't fare so well in this one. There's this front office rankings. And next week, perhaps, we're going to be talking about um, ranking the farm clubs. Um, oh, there's a, a series that, that has just started. Corey Proneman, we, see, we know Corey. We've seen him um, at all of these uh, events that we attend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's in the middle, well, he's at the start, I should say, of ranking the NHL farm systems. Um, and oh, uh, that ought to fare well for Montreal. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> funny that, um, and, and we'll talk more about this, but just to give a little bit of a, a preview, uh, he's released four so far. Okay. Um, and, and there's some surprises here, I think. Uh, and we, like I say, I'll just mention them and we can talk about it next week, but number 31 in his opinion, farm systems, that is Washington capitals. Um, Number 30, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Number 29, the Calgary Flames. Number 28, the Winnipeg Jets. Um, I don't know about that. I don't know Corey. about some of those. Uh, and, and, and we'll talk about it, and we'll tell, we'll tell you why Corey has ranked uh, them where they are, uh, whether that we get that in next week or the week after. But, but uh, another, another uh, preseason ranking that's, uh, that's going to cause some discussion, I believe. I think so, too. Of course, you can keep up with all of the news and the latest, uh, first and foremost, by tuning into From the Press Box every Tuesday. We are here every week, all year long, throughout the summer, no matter what. Uh, So we will be back again, of course, next week with lots more information. But, of course, be sure you're checking out our websites, ahl.report, allhabs.net. Usually try to take a minute to just... Um, bring your attention to another one of our regular columns and, and um, Chris G uh, has been this summer taking care of, I, I believe it's a biweekly column called take five where he, uh, and you can find this on allhabs.net. That's at allhabs on Twitter um, where he kind of takes five uh, hot topics surrounding the Montreal Canadians and, and gives his, his take on them and, and offers some opinion and analysis on some things and, and welcomes, uh, some debate and response in return. Um, I know Rick, one of his, he has a, he has an, an edition of take five out this week. And one of the things he talks about is how, you know, you mentioned how Jonathan Duran became the new PK Subban as far as, you know, being prominently displayed last year in social media and all around the city and so forth. And it seems that, uh, now this year, the Canadians have adopted Max Domi as their new, uh, social media, uh, face. Uh, he is constantly on their Instagram feeds, 
in their stories, articles on the site, this, that, and the other. And uh, Chris offers his opinion on whether or not he agrees with that approach. Um, some, some of some are saying, okay, enough with Domi. There are other uh, players on this team that we'd like to hear about as well. Um, but on the other hand, other fans are saying he's the he's got the perfect personality for social media, and so great, we love it. Bring us more. So always, always well, some good information if, from if, Chris. Uh, if Duran was uh, Subban 2.0, then uh, let's call Domi Subban 3.0. And yeah. uh, Domi, at least, as you say, has the personality to uh, he does. to take that off. He he does social media well. Uh, but uh, Chris, uh, in his, as you say, the Take 5, his five opinions, Take 5 being a terrific tune by Dave Brubeck as, as well. <laughs> but in this context, it's, it's, uh, it's Chris's five thoughts. Chris being uh, uh, co-host of the uh, Habs 360 podcast last season and, and, um, and for eight years prior to that. And now he's uh, uh, taking on the, the writing skills and, and putting out his, uh, his uh, thoughts. And, um, and yeah, it seems to think that uh, Domi's a bit overexposed and, and uh, he'd be like, in Chris's opinion, he'd like uh, a bit more news and, and, and a lot less uh, a glitz. Um, so you can read about that. You can read about his uh, the other four topics that he weighs in on uh, at allhabs.net. Absolutely. Remember, you can uh, also chat with us anytime on social media. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the AHL Report. You can find me on Twitter at Flyers Rule. And, of course, you can find Rick at allhabs. Uh, be sure you're following all of our Instagram accounts as well for all of our original photography at games and events uh, around the league and around uh, North America um, and Facebook as well. You can uh, find us just about everywhere. And of course you'll find us right back here again next Tuesday for another episode of from the press box. Rick, thanks so much for joining me today. Always glad to be here. Absolutely. And we will see you back here next week, Tuesday. Join us again until then. Enjoy your week. Have a great weekend ahead and get out there and uh, see a lighthouse today. We'll see you next week.